What's up, what's up, what's up, gumbo listeners? Demetrius here, dropping another data protection gumbo episode for you. And today I have Ed Renwick on, new partner acquisition lead at Red Store. And Ed is a 45-year-old Geordie from the north of England with over 23 years of experience in data center, cloud, and managed services solutions. With a focus on data storage and data management, he loves football, which is soccer, rugby, and weight training. Has four kids, three dogs, and four turtles. So Gumbo listeners, Ed discusses why it's important to protect your data in G Suite, some of the hottest trends in the data management industry, and also some tips on the best way to protect or recover from a ransomware attack. So let's get right into the episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. How are you doing today, Ed? Absolutely great. Thanks very much for having me today. Awesome. Well, it is definitely a pleasure to have you on the Gumbo, and I am looking forward to diving into uh, some questions here for our uh, listening audience. All right. So what is the hottest trend that you're seeing right now in the data management industry? The hottest trend we're, we're seeing right now, and actually have been seeing probably for the last 12 months, because it's it's basically overtook most projects that were pre-planned, is the forced migration to the cloud. I think we've I think we, on a global level, have all seen a, a massive change to our day-to-day working, but that's also had an impact on, on businesses and how they run. And so we had a, a huge adoption in, in moving all of the users into a, into a kind of off-site platform. And the, the predominating platforms there were Microsoft and, and Google, obviously, for all of the unstructured data given all of the work has an ability to work remotely with laptop, with other endpoint um, devices. That has been the single biggest uh, change in the marketplace that, that we've seen. I think we, if, over the first three or four months of, of the COVID outbreak, I think certainly from a Microsoft perspective, their platform jumped up by something like 700% in occupancy. Wow. Because we had this, you know, before that came, we had... We had, as we always have, the early adopters to cloud. the 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 market was starting to follow suit, but there was still a there was still a bit of hesitation over what what applications you're going to move to the cloud, what users are ready to work from home, and and that was in a that was being looked at in a very considered way. the The COVID outbreak basically overnight changed almost every business in their in their way forward, and they had to pivot very quickly in terms of getting getting adoption into the cloud and moving a lot of data and a lot of users so that, that they were mobile and, and able to work. But obviously what that created was a big gap in terms of what are you doing with your data once it's actually stretched, you've stretched that production environment to another location. And so what we're seeing now is we had a, a huge adoption into the cloud, forced albeit, but now those guys are in and they're using it and it's what next. And, and the what next question is, actually, guys, we need to protect all of that production data you've just taken from your production on-site environment 
and moved it up into a production area with a with a hyperscaler and so that's kind of the the backdrop to why we're where we are incredibly busy at the moment and and it's mainly around providing protection for google workloads as well because obviously neither of these uh, these companies protect that data for for the users right and so you mentioned there is a an incredible shift to cloud that people are lifting and shifting workloads into the cloud more and more due to the pandemic and you said what's next and one thing that i typically hear is is about cost and it's a little funny, you know, to talk about cost because some people think that moving to the cloud will reduce their costs significantly. However, I've heard that there could be some challenges with, you know, running your workloads in the cloud if you're moving things in the cloud that may not necessarily need to be there, but yet you need to be really picky and choosy about the applications and the workloads that you do move and shift over to the cloud. What are you seeing from, from that perspective as it involves cost? I think that resonates really nicely with what we're seeing, actually, as you as you can appreciate. If we look at a at an unstructured data level data level with, with 365 and, and the, the Google equivalent, we these these guys have shifted lots and lots of data into SharePoint, into Teams and started using that. But SharePoint is really being the, the kind of proxy for putting all of the the typical local file shares that you would have on a on a on a local machine. That's what SharePoint's being used for. Now it cost perspective to the, the user in, in most cases those areas, those production areas for storage are are actually given to the users free. There is no top limit. So it doesn't have a cost effect, but it does have a data management effect when you start looking at the nature of the data you've you've pushed up into the cloud, how important it is to you and how you need to recover that and how quickly you need to get at that data. And, and that comes back to your question. We've got a lot of data in the cloud, but how much of that is sensitive? How much of it warrants being protected? And how much of it actually actually needs to be there? It could just be historic data from five years ago that you've never accessed. But unless you go through some mechanism of, of, of analyzing the, the, the type of data that you've got and, and what you've been doing with that data, that puts you in a in a much better stead. Now you can do that when you when you go to the cloud initially, but you can do that kind of exercise retrospectively as well. So it doesn't need to be you've moved into the cloud, you're done now, you're just gonna have to soak that up, your data's there. There is ways in which you can still analyze that data and see what is eligible for production with Microsoft, see what's eligible for long-term retention as archive data, what's eligible to be kept local, and what's eligible to be permanently deleted that you're never actually going to need to get to again. Okay, yeah. And I, I also, I, um, you mentioned Microsoft a little earlier as well, and you mentioned SharePoint and I guess some of their tools. I, I also understand that you have a G Suite backup tool for Red Store. Do you mind explaining to the Gumbo listeners why it's important to protect your data in G Suite? It's just as important. If, if we think about what, what we're doing when we're moving our data into Google or Microsoft for that matter, but let's focus on Google for the time being. What we're doing is we're taking a lot of data that <clears throat> traditionally has been, we class it as production data. This is data that we, we host locally 
traditionally and now we're moving it into Google. Now that doesn't mean that we've got an, uh, an air gap to our data and that's a backup of that production environment. What we've actually done now is stretched production into two distinct areas. But what we're seeing is the there's a there's almost a comfort value that comes with dealing with Googles and Microsofts and 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 that actually leads to a misunderstanding about what's going on with your data because neither of those organizations and and and, and Google included are on the hook legally for protecting and recovering your data. They accept the fact that this is a production environment. They aren't responsible for ransomware, for malware, for malicious insiders, for anything that might compromise the data that you've got in, in your production environment. And so it's key that these guys are air-gapping that data, taking it somewhere else, just the same as they would have always done, always done with their local data. It's a well-established principle that if your data is local, you need to back it off and put it somewhere else for the event of a DR scenario. Just because you've moved your cloud, your data into the cloud does not automatically mean that your data is being protected. And, and actually, both Google and Microsoft in their end-user license agreements tell you in black and white to go and get a third party to solution because they are not protecting your data like that would. Mm, yeah. And you, you mentioned the key is air gapping the data. And what, what's your definition of air gap? Because different people use different terms. I've even seen virtual air gap. Yeah, they do. Um, for me, an air, an air gap is where you have you have physically and, and virtually got your data in a separate location in which there is no network connection that can compromise one or the other. And you have a full ability to fail over from that site. Okay. So that is that would be our definition of red story of, of, of an air gap. Yeah, it, it's in line with what I think as well. And you know, air gap and you know things like ransomware, which we'll touch on on, on the next question. But I, I want to jump back to to Microsoft and Microsoft recommending backing up your three six five hosted content and data and and using that third party. Now, wh why do you think I guess Microsoft? recommends that 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 you go and hey go find a third party to back this up because we're not responsible for protecting your data at that level i, I know the answer to the question but i want to see if there's something else that i don't know about that well first of all microsoft do a lot of infrastructure and, and platform services there their specialism is not in protecting your data and they have nothing, neither to Google, in, in the suite to... It's a very specialist part of the data management process and lends itself actually to a myriad of, of potential outcomes if something goes wrong for Microsoft. It's a much easier play for these guys to effectively back off responsibility beyond the hardware and the software that they're putting into a data center all of the users, the data, the app admin, it makes absolute sense that they wouldn't take responsibility for that because of the the the, the way that data is managed and the fact that every, every organization is slightly different in their view of the world around what they want to do with data. And then you've got the other kind of layer of the, the legislative layer 
where on a regional basis every country has a slight variation in their data protection rules in in their versions of gdpr policy and how how you, you should be able to get access to your data so yeah that definitely makes sense ed i appreciate you you clearing that up for me and i guess the the next thing would be is that i guess what would you propose for the gumbo listeners on the best way to protect or recover from that infamous ransomware attack. Yeah. Okay, well, this is the million-dollar question because there's a, yeah. you know, look, there's companies and and we know big and bright global organizations who have deep pockets for front-end security still get attacked by ransomware attackers. They always find a way of, of getting in one way or another. I think the the, mm-hmm. the best way you can do this is belt and brace as much as possible. So as long as you've got as much at the front end to stop that intrusion, if you've got some level of monitoring going on with your production environment into your backup set so that if anything has squeezed through and it, we, we try and back that data up, we can work out quite quickly that the data has been compromised. And I think that the other bit is ensuring that you've got the highest level of encryption going on at the front, in the middle in production, but also when you're backing up your data. If your backup data is fully encrypted, you know, 256 bit and beyond, then it's fair to say that even if these guys do get the hands on your data, they can't unencrypt it to encrypt it they can't decrypt it to encrypt it because it's already encrypted. So all we need to do at that point in time is simply roll back to the point in time at which we didn't have that ransomware executable on the internal system. And we just go back to that point in time, load that data back up and, and run in production again. So it's very easy to deal with these with these issues if you have the right solutions in place and if you have the light, right levels of encryption going on in your backup data to stop that being compromised. It's one thing having production compromised, yeah. but if you're able to recover back to your backup, production isn't a big deal. It's just a case of resetting some, some variables. Now, have you been involved in any ransomware recovery issues? Absolutely loads. In in the last three to four months, we're probably responding to two or three a week at the moment. And the majority of those we are seeing are are in the education space, in the education sector. And why? Because there's a predication, there's a historic predication that education is one domain, single local network, everything's in the same place. So if you get into a domain controller, you can get into the primary environment, you can get into the backup environment, you can get across the local network into the DR site. So these guys are having a tough time, particularly in education, because of that predication on them historically having everything locally, all the data locally. At least a handful of my own customers and partners that I work with have been hit by. We had a a private school in the UK hit very recently. Um, They were hit on a a Sunday night. And and this isn't something they've done necessarily. This isn't something companies necessarily are aware of. But if you think now in the world we're in where, if you think of that school environment, teachers have to be mobile because there's lots of different endpoints and and. And, and systems that they're plugging into every time they move from one classroom to the other, which means these guys have got to have domain level access. So this comes back to this given 
roles and responsibilities in excess of the user because of the way you've got to work. That then opened them up for ransomware. Now, luckily for these guys, whilst they were in a position where all of the data was local, six months prior to the attack, they'd started dual backing up with Redstore. Kind of liked it and started backing up some of their critical servers. Had they not done that, at, at that point in time, they would have had to pay the ransom because these guys accounted for... I th the the final count was if Redstore hadn't been involved, they would have lost 92% of their data to the ransomware attack and would have had to have paid the ransom to get it back. Now, this is a fee-paying school. You can imagine the, these guys had to... It's not just the... It's not just the the day to day piece you've got to deal with. It's the it's the reputational damage that comes from these events if you can't deal with them quickly. So we to answer your question, we see a lot of ransomware. That is probably the most prevalent of of all of the reasons for downtime at the moment. That probably sits at the top of the tree. But Red Store have a really unique way of dealing with that, and that is around high levels of encryption, both at rest and in transit and an ability to roll back to a point in time to get clean data. Apronix delivers unique cloud app resilience with application environment level protection and recovery on cloud platforms like AWS, Google, Azure, and Kubernetes. Achieve much better cyber resilience with the entire cloud application environment recovery from increasing cyber attacks in the same region, across another cloud region, or even across another cloud account with immutable data copies with a touch of a button. Unlike other backup and recovery systems, with Apronix, you can protect all the cloud resources on a cloud time machine. All your VMs, database, container, and cloud volume services, storage disks, security groups, elastic IPs, network interfaces, VPCs, routes, load balancers with their configurations and metadata and recover them rapidly from any cloud application downtime to satisfy stringent SLAs. There is no agent to install and no proprietary data management lock-in. Apronix is an always up-to-date SaaS platform with a guaranteed 99.9% .9 SLA. Visit apronix.com to get started today. And to Ed, we're back in now. And before the break, you were discussing what you've seen around ransomware recovery issues. And for the rest of this episode, let's get into how Gumbo listeners can be smarter about phishing attacks. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's crazy. And as you were speaking, you said, yeah, education is an issue. And I just had something flash in my head. While it, well, education is about teaching. Then, <laughs> you know, why would the education industry be the, you know, one of the top industries that 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 are getting you know compromised and you know it all leans on education around how to protect you know educating your users right on you know because i think phishing is one of the number one attacks you know clicking on something that you're not sure and they they're getting more and more clever you know as to the different types of um, intrusion uh, in ways it's a never moving target these guys are constantly improving i mean look we at a fishing level some of the brightest guys out there who've had lots of training still get caught out with these fishing attacks so you know you can only account for users to a certain degree then you have to use technology to take that out of their hands 
to take that uncertainty that you get at a user level and, and just take that out of the hands. It, you know, Red Store have introduced now a malware detection system. So as we're looking at the data to, to back it up, we're detecting malicious content and, and, and effectively alerting the users at that point. They then get a chance to go back and, and actually look at those files and go, no, no, that's fine. I'm aware of that. We let that through. Actually, no, we need to quarantine that one. So we're now starting to reduce this capability to to take the responsibility and, and the onus away from it, from the users and the errors that, that, can, that can come with, with users and apply a bit more science within within the software. So do you, do you have any AI or ML anomaly detection that you actually do? Absolutely that. That's exactly what it's doing now. So it will read common right. trends. It will pick up on on things that we've done in the past and it will start kind of also the first few times you do this, it's going to take a while because it's picking out a lot of content, just the same as when you do your first mm -hmm. backup. That always takes the longest, and then it's just changes after that. Just the same with the AI-based malware detection. After a while, this thing becomes almost self-prophesized, and it's managing this without you really doing anything because it's got enough telemetry, enough intelligence to work out what it thinks you're going to want to do with a particular file as okay. it comes in. Great, great. Yeah, we, we can go on and on about, you know, security and ransomware. Yeah, we, could. we could do maybe an entire two, three, four hour episode on that. Absolutely. Uh, so. And we still wouldn't be done. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the insight there. And each and every time that I, I ask a question about ransomware, I learn something unique and new that I didn't know. And I continue to use the stat of every 14 seconds, a ransomware event happens. And I'm sure that number will continue to, you know, get, you know, lower, right? We, we work with a lot of, we work with the police authority um, over here in the UK with the cyber crime unit of the, uh, the National Police Authority. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's kind of one of these scenarios where a lot of businesses think it's only the brand names that these guys try attacking. Yeah. It's actually not. They're just the ones you hear about. These things are going on all the time. They're just managed from a, a publishing perspective. So you might not see them on Sky News every day, but they're happening all the time. And you're right in terms of the stats. Again, we think about what we're doing with Google and Microsoft. We've been protecting all that data and backing it up and encrypting it and trying to get around those kind of attacks. Then we go and push it up into, into the hyperscale platforms without thinking twice about the fact that we're not backing the data up, we're not protecting ourselves from a ransomware attack with all of that production data. So if we're not backing up Microsoft and we're not backing up Google and someone does attack a SharePoint site or does send something through an email as an executable and it proliferates their environment, the data's gone. They're still in the same scenario there would be if someone hit them with ransomware with the local structured data. So again, it just bring, brings up the reasons why we we shouldn't be ignoring that three, two, one rule of backup that we've been applying to our local data for yeah. since since time began from the sixties basically. We shouldn't be losing sight of that three to one ruler back up when we're moving production somewhere else. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. And I, I wanted to, to take a step back and, and do more of a micro level. And, you know, each backup platform has some type of database where they, you know, keep and track and contain the metadata, you know, the place where it keeps track of all the files, the changes, retention dates. 
you know, it's kind of the brains to the entire system. And we all know that that's growing and it's becoming more and more decentralized. And the task of just keeping track of where data resides and what that data is, it becomes unmanageable, right? Um, what is the best way to, to quickly search and, and gain access just from an overall data perspective? Like if, if someone wanted to just go in, take a look, something happened, they want to quickly search for a particular file and just gain insight on that. It, it could be an audit as well. Like, do, do you have any recommendations around like metadata tracking and data set tracking and data management overall? There's, uh, there's various tools in the market that can do that. We, we actually, in terms of Red Store, because we're agent-based, because we are applying agents on endpoints, that allows us even actually, you can do this without backing up any data. But what we can do is actually get onto an endpoint and do exactly that. We can work out all of the telemetry for that machine in terms of its resources, but also all of the data that's sitting on that endpoint as well. That might be a laptop. That might be a physical machine. It might be a virtual server in Azure. doesn't really matter. What we can do is go in and, and really deep dive on on the data, what they're doing with the data, when they last access that data, how many copies they've got of that exact same file, because this is an, this is another thing. You know, we talk about data growth. A lot of growth in production is not through generating lots of new content. It's actually because users generate exorbitant amounts of copies of the same files over and over again. And you get this with 365 as well. You know, teams will give you a, an option to either keep both copies or replace, put a new one in. So we would effectively use that, that type of tool set to go in and deep dive, find out everything they're doing on that endpoint. And we can do the same with Microsoft through the admin consoles and ability to go in and, and do exactly that. Look at what you've got in each of those feature sets, how you're using it when you last accessed it. It just takes a bit of finding through the admin consoles. Okay, got it. That that makes a lot of sense. And I want to circle all the way back to initially we started talking cloud, and it, it's a huge topic as well. So you have security number one, and then you have cloud computing, and organizations are you know moving their workloads to the cloud at, at a very accelerated pace. Uh, I know you have some experience, you know, in that perspective. So what do you recommend for the Gumbo listeners who are thinking about migrating data uh, either to the cloud or from the cloud or between clouds, any, any one of those? Yeah, I, I plan, 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 and plan. That's the, that's the underwriting message that I would give you. And, and you know, we are, we are working with a lot of organizations now and schools, by the way. You know, we talked about that, that, that migration of your unstructured data, your Microsoft stuff, your Google stuff, well, actually all the structured data now is being looked at in terms of do we need to keep all of this local when we've got all of the threat of these attacks, why not move production into Microsoft Azure? Why not move production into AWS? And that, that can all be achieved. And we're doing that again with our customers where we've already backed up the data, it's already protected, it's already encrypted. We can then use that process to help migrate them safely into public 
spaces, whether it be Microsoft or another provider, with roll with an ability to roll back. I think as long as you you're going in there and it's not in anger and you've got a rollback plan and you've got your data protected in somewhere else if it all goes wrong. And I think moving to the cloud has a huge amount of benefit. It doesn't, as you rightly said at the start, it doesn't always carry a, a cost benefit. But if you're looking for automation, if you're looking for if you're looking for an ability to be a bit more agile, then cloud is absolutely the way to go. If you're looking to try and take a, a bit of onus from having all of that hardware sitting in a data center that you've got to maintain and service and put you then absolutely cloud is absolutely the way you should be looking, but not without a backup plan to attach to it and not without a roll a rollback plan if if anything goes wrong. Okay. That makes sense. And we are rolling into the final closing gumbo question. You ready for it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. It, it's a simple question. And, and all I want you to do is take a look into Ed's Red Store Crystal Ball. Now, you don't have to give me a roadmap or anything like that. I just want to know what's your 2022 technology prediction? What do you think is going to maybe surprise everybody? I actually think, believe it or not, I think Kubernetes is going to be the big surprise. I think mm. that is going to make... Okay. It's, it's almost this kind of step on from the world of virtualization. It's allowing you to yeah. use your resources much more effectively than have them statically kind of working. It, 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 it allows a lot more freedom in terms of we've just talked about being able to move almost agnostically your data and, and everything that goes with that from one cloud platform to another, from one server to another. I think the, the way we've... Mm -hmm. gone full tilt into cloud, into the cloud, into this cloud migration, this forced way we've gone in. I think that is actually going to drive the Kubernetes play. I think that was probably three to five years away. But I think there's a, because of this mass adoption, I think that's very much accelerated the adoption that we're going to see over Kubernetes and making sense and, and automating and and using cloud resources more effectively moving forward than you're able to do just using virtualization standard versions anyway. Yeah, and I think that's a secret weapon. You know, Kubernetes as a as a backup and recovery and storage and data protection, you know, expert and administrator, anyone out there, any of the listeners, if you have yet to take a, a YouTube training class or Udemy or a cloud guru, any of these training classes, there's so much free resources out there now. Yeah. Um, spend some time, take a look at Kubernetes and containers and serverless, you know, and uh, is, there's a whole nother world of, of new technology that's out there. And uh, I think degrees, uh, college degrees from a perspective of computer sciences is, is really becoming a thing of the past. Not to say that you don't need a degree, but you don't have to have one to to really get into technology these days. So, Ed, you know, it's definitely been a pleasure having you on the gumbo. I have truly learned a lot and gained some insight from you. Um, do you have a social media handle or, you know, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn that you would like to share with the gumbo listeners? Yeah, I'm down as Ed Rennick on LinkedIn. There's not many Ed Rennicks with a, a three foot long beard <laughs> and a waistcoat on. So you shouldn't have much, much uh, trouble finding me. All right. Have you tried out Clubhouse yet? No, not yet. Okay, not yet. 
Maybe I'll send you an invite. Get 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 you get you to step out 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 your virtual box a little bit. Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I keep me me children keep trying to get me into the brave new world. I just haven't got there just yet. Well, Larry, Dad, uh, thank you so much for appearing on Data Protection Gumbo, and thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.